Cool. Hey, Faz, how are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Welcome, Sports Dev, where we talk about sports and development from around the world. Um, our podcast is brought to us by Arawa Baobab Company, um, Bio Baobab Fruit Powder from arawabaobab.com. And um, we get started. So, uh, what, what's it like in England right now with the um, pandemic and everything else? Are you guys wide open? Yeah, things are improving. Um, we're, we've got um, gra gradual lifts um, in process. So the next lift will be in July um, and that should be more of a travel lift. Um, so, yeah, we're just doing the gradual step by step at the moment in London, in the UK. But um, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, um, we're coming on. Faz is the director of Fruition X, which is a sports and development company based in London, UK. And they do a lot of work in London and around the world. I'm sorry, Faz, I didn't introduce you. No, it's fine. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. Um, no, thanks for coming on. Thanks because it, it, it's great to have you because um, some of the work I do with Youth Commerce Foundation in sports and development um, actually mirrors some of the work you guys do. And, you know, um, in looking at your, some of the work, you guys do some fasc fascinating work, I think, in England and around the world. And, um, and you know, I, I know I just introduced you, which, but if you don't mind, just kind of go into a little bit of some of the projects and the work you guys do. Sure. Yes. Yeah, so I'm the director of sports at Fruition X. Um, we have two parts of the business. Um, we've got Fruition X Management, which is our commercial arm of, a, of our business. Then we have Fruition X Development, which is our not not for profit um, youth development agency. And um, but. The both parts of the business concept, we have sports, youth development and tech. And that's how we marry up um, all our expertise within across the, the business and the projects that we deliver as well. Yeah, absolutely amazing. I think I noticed you guys have done work with West Ham Foundation, okay. Chelsea Foundation, right? And Arsenal, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so um, on the on the commercial side of things, Fruition X Management, we help um, uh, athletes, pro athletes, develop their brand internationally. So at the moment, thankfully, we've got a load of um, NFL and NBA um, athletes that come over to the UK. We help them with their brand development, do strategic partnerships and help them on the commercial side of things, as well as the, the most important thing is the engagement of community engagements. So we kind of help them with their foundation and philanthropy work. So it's across the board, but all off the field transactions. So we help um, NFL and NBA players, and we we were planning to do stuff in um, in Africa back home, but unfortunately because of COVID, we've had to pause on our events and any commercial opportunities there for now. Yeah. Well, what's it like? What's it like working with those guys? Um, retired NFL, NBA athletes. Um, I I have I have experience working more in sports business side with franchises and in those both of those leagues and. Um, we also had foundations under the franchises that had to work with the athletes. So yeah. but what, what was it like in, on your end, um, having to deal with guys who are either on the verge of retirement or have retired and are, are looking to create a post-playing career? You know what? The the American culture and the American mentality is slightly different to the British, UK-based, so we, we call them footballers, but for you yeah. guys, like soccer players, right? Yeah. So I think with the NFL and NBA players, they're more in, in 
tuned with their, their 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 community and give back and the philanthropy and always connected to their communities. Whereas I think the British um, footballers here it's slightly different for them. It's a different um, upbringing, um, unfortunately, but they there's there's a clear difference between the athletes and. Hence the reason why I work with, even though I'm based in the UK and London, I, I work with a lot of NBA and NFL athletes who actually get it, who understand the concept of giving back to the community and having young people look at athletes and say, hey, if I work hard enough, I could be the next Marshawn Lynch or whoever it may be. And yeah. to be honest with you, those guys are amazing. They give a lot back back home in the US and obviously internationally now, they're, they're so keen on expanding their brand and being more than an athlete. Um, and they're, they're great to work with, honestly. It's been a, an absolute pleasure to work with those guys. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I noticed um, J.R.J.E. Um, was on, on your website. I think he's, you mentioned that he, he's from England, right? Yes, so he was born and raised in North London, well, Hackney, um, East, North East London. And, um, Worked so hard, went to the US, um, became the next uh, Super Bowl winner, and then actually came yeah, back yeah, to the yeah. UK and did um, and an event with us. So these are the kind of stories that we love to capture um, as an organization where these athletes are like role models and mentors for our next generation. No, yeah, he was he used to play for the Dolphins. I remember watching him. He okay. was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, he was pretty good. But I think you mentioned it's different, right? Um, yeah. Working with the EPL guys. Yes. And now I know the US guys. Yeah. Like not personally, but I know the mentality. I know the mantra. I the people I went to school with and I know well who ended up playing in the NFL and like so I, I know that I know exactly how they think. What's it like with um the EPL guys? And is it different from a Premier League player uh, compared to a second tier player that plays maybe in the championship what, what what's what's that like and what what's that experience like working with those guys what do you yeah think? yeah the the british players again it, it depends on what background they are where they're from how they grew up and all of those things boma it's quite different because you've got um, premiership players who are from africa for example right they come over and they still have that amazing mentality of giving back and going back to Africa and building a foundation and, and all of those amazing things about them. But then you've got like British players who were born and raised in North London or um, have gone through the, for example, an Arsenal Academy, typical Arsenal Academy, and that's all they know, if that makes sense. It's, it's all about the culture, to be honest with you. I think it's it's more about the culture and the upbringing more so than, than anything else. And unfortunately, um, I have to say from my perspective, they don't get educated from the beginning to what to do with their finances as well. So yeah. instead of um, investing in, in, in something more meaningful, like that would help them in their future post-career, like investments in property, land, whatever it may be, tech, um, which we would try and push for, um, obviously they're, they're into their fast cars and, and stuff like that, which is great. I, yeah. Obviously it's great to have fun, buy whatever you want, enjoy it, but you need to think about post-career. And I think the Americans do that really well with the NBA players and, um, as you know, LeBron and um, Steve Corrine and those kind of guys who are like clued up and amazing. But unfortunately, that hasn't been translated here in the UK. And that's the reason why we've created our organization to be able to help the financial literacy side of things as well. 
Yeah, and you guys do amazing work doing that. I think you know, in 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 really trying to build that up, and the fact that you have corporate partners and you you have the whole tech thing, um, how you marry all that together is is is, is pretty cool. I think you know the, the thing about um, athletes post career playing career. I think it, it's interesting because um, unless an athlete happens to have someone who's who understands that world and can educate them, which is what yeah. you guys do. Um, you know, they don't know because you have to realize, like you said, a player goes through West Ham Academy, right? It happens to be extremely talented. You know, in, in soccer and football, they, they get signed at, as soon as they turn 18, right? Um, so you have an 18 year old yeah. now making 20,000 pounds a week. Um, I mean, He's probably still living in his mom's house. He doesn't, you see what I'm saying? And if he, if his parents or his parent doesn't know, you know, yeah. there you have that problem, which is why, like, I was so impressed with Marcus Rashford, right? Um, and I'm sure you're familiar with what he did. Exactly. Um, I thought that was just amazing, you know. Yeah. He didn't have to. And I think you, you, you mentioned a good point. Uh, it's not just the player education. We're <clears> kind of, going to start branching out to like family and friends education as well the circle around them and and like like we had a, a brief discussion it's about the sports ecosystem around the athlete so mm -hmm. it's not just the athlete it's not just the agent we're looking at the the whole ecosystem around them and helping their family and friends their parents the the people who have some sort of influence um, with them as well so that's really important to to educate the whole the whole circle around them as well so that's really important and again going back to the US um, you guys have that whole one well, US North America you guys have that whole um, NCAA sports and education whereas here it's either sports or education it's not it's not structured in a way that they are educated from the beginning and they have to pick, they basically have to pick one or the other. Really? So, so yes. if a player goes to an academy, right. <clears throat> and I know about academies, like I mentioned, we work with, um, my nonprofit works with some Danish clubs. So yeah. I know how it works there and they're heavy into education. Right. In like Denmark. So in England, if you're going to, I don't know, Arsenal Academy, I know there's a lot of pressure on you to be successful and you're working hard and all that as a teenager, but then that particular kid is also still going to school, right? They, how, yeah. So yeah, unlike, unlike the North American where you've got the NCAA and you've got the whole structure in place and without a certain points, is that correct? Like certain points, you don't get your, um, uh, yeah, if you don't, if you don't meet us, yeah, if you don't meet a certain GPA, um, GPA you, you might not play. Correct. Correct. Whereas here, they're a bit flexible, let's just say. <laughs> I will use the word flexible, meaning they do a bit of GCSE, they get to a GCSE, which is high school, mm -hmm. and then their whole focus is football. And I don't know if you know, but 90% actually don't make it in the UK, um, in the prim like in football in general. So that's just football. 90% don't make it. And then that whole 90%, that whole, that whole young people, don't have anything to fall back on. So our youth development agency, our non-profit non as well, helps those young people who don't make it. So those academy players, players who get up to 18, they've been in the team since under nine, all their life has been within the club. Football, Unfortunately, yeah. after exactly after a certain point, they have nothing to fall back on. And that's what we do on our not-for-profit sides. We help them and support them. Yeah, you, you know what? Um, 
I, I, I played college sports as well. So, um, so a lot of what you're saying is true, but I think there's also um, a lot of similarities in the sense that even with the NC2A and with the structure in place, like you rightfully mentioned with yeah. sports and universities, you still have what you mentioned. Um, uh, athletes still get greased through. Yeah. Sometimes they don't meet the GPA average Got it. and they still play. Sometimes they are registered into um, very uh, easy courses in university mm -hmm. that aren't, isn't going to translate into some kind of future in employment. Right. Um, because they can play basketball or football yeah, and, and you need them to play. So you need them to have the GPA. So you give them as many easy classes as possible. So right. that way they stay focused. And if the athlete doesn't have any um, strong uh, reinforcements at home uh, to say, Hey, you know, no, you're not taking swimming pool management. You're going to take, economics or you're going to take exactly. this particular course yeah if he or she doesn't have that then you have a problem um yeah. because they'll just pick I'm, I'm playing basketball i'm going to the league and like you said very few people do make it to the highest level so um there are a lot of similarities yeah. but I, th I think you're right in, the, in that the american system has a formal body in the nc2a that um, okay. they actually watch for a lot of those things. So there's accountability. Yeah. Um, so unlike, yeah. correct, correct. Duty, duty of care as well, because, and then that's the thing. Um, there's been a lot of talks over here where um, unfortunately um, academies on the, the spotlights at the moment in regards to duty of care and saying, what exactly do you have in place when you mm -hmm. drop these young people do you have an exit route? What, what happens? And we saw there is a gap in the market. And that's where we were like, you know what, we need to help these young people. And um, I hate saying gap in the market, but it's literally that 90%, what happens to them? And we were so concerned and we felt like with all our expertise within our in-house um, organization, in-house, we were like, we need to um, open our doors and give those young people an opportunity. So how we do that, we we help those who don't have any qualification or any accreditation, as well as employability skills. So you'd be surprised where some of them don't even know what a CV looks like or a cover letter or anything like that. So we train them, we help them, we, we give them interview preps. So then by the end of the the, the training um, self-development program, we give them an exit strategy into a, a, into a job, basically. So yeah. That has to be challenging, though. I mean, because a, a kid who's been at academy since the age of nine, mm -hmm. who doesn't make it, um, and finds out at 18, at that point, there's a lot going on mentally. Definitely. Right? It, it, it's, it's, and like you said, they, they, they don't know, or maybe not even 18, maybe 20, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. So, so there's a lot going on. Oh, man, I always thought I was going to be here. It hasn't happened. Yeah. The sadness, the depression. You know, um, how do you guys counter all of that? How do you, yeah. like, how do you say, you know, okay, listen, it's okay. It didn't work out. Because at that point, a young person, you know, had, that I'd always envisioned playing at this level doesn't want to think of anything else at that point. Yeah. You know, 
they're a little despondent, they're angry. Um, how do you guys deal with all that stuff? Yeah, well, good point. Um, we actually have like um, our own in-house well well-being coach. Um, yeah. So we mental health is definitely something before mental health became so out and open um, as it is now, which is great. Um, we've already had that embedded in our programs and everything that we do with anything from retired players to young players getting up on the ladder. So uh, across the board, even retired players, we can touch on that in terms of their mental health. Yeah. There's, there's a whole like identity crisis, like, oh my God, I'm not a player anymore. I don't have a routine. I don't have things in place. So there's that mental health. And then the young people, just like you're mentioning, unfortunately, um, there's a case study. I hate, again, don't like to, to use the word case study, but um, a young um, gentleman called Jeremy Winston, who passed away in October last year. He wow. was an ex-Man City player who um, unfortunately committed suicide. Wow. So him, like a group of his um, close um, friends from what I've heard, have spoke out about it and obviously were in shock and shock and horror to, to see one of their closest friends go through that. And and the thing is, it's, it's no joke. Um, social media pressures, friends and family, oh, I'm playing for Man City or I'm playing for the top five. You just, you don't know the the impact that's that's having, the, the heavy shoulders that's that they're carrying day in and day out. And especially when that takes, is being taken away from them you just don't know what's going through their mind. And hence the reason why we've got a wellbeing coach, we've got a life coach. So all of that is being taken care of. We've got counseling sessions. They can have their private private time with our counselors. Um, and the actual counselor would be um, a lady who was actually, is a mum who actually had gone through the same process with her son. He played for Fulham Football Club at the time. And she had to go through that whole mental and counsel process with her son. So it's all people that get it in-house yeah no again amazing work it's it, it's it's scary because i i can relate to that in the sense that um not from the england point of view but i um i've dealt with soccer players in africa that yeah. you know i've you know secure um training or trial sessions with professional clubs in europe and they've gone or even the us um, with mls clubs and they've gone, um, and during the whole process, you know, you try to help them manage expectations. Like, look, this is an opportunity, but just so you know, um, you know, there's a possibility that they may not sign you. And if that happens, you just have to be ready to deal with it. You don't want to put that too much in their head, but it's a reality. Um, and sometimes, like you mentioned, social media pressures, because they'll get to the club, and next thing you know, they're taking pictures with some of the guys they're with. And you're you're seeing it pop up on their Facebook, you're seeing it pop up on Instagram, and you're saying, "Hey, listen, you you haven't made the team yet. You know, you need to you need to relax a little." But mm -hmm. um, but they do these things, and because you know the whole social media thing, and then if it doesn't work out, yeah, um, the depression is uh, uh, twofold. It's twice the Definitely. the intensity, yeah, because. Now they feel crushed. Now it's like, oh, I have to go back, you know, and you have to go through that whole process of trying to help them understand that, you know, you don't owe anyone anything. No. This is your journey. You gave it a shot. It didn't work out, but you gave it the best. Don't worry about it. Go back and live your life. You don't have to worry about what anyone else thinks, right? Um, but that is something that uh, you see, even with all the speeches you could give them, they still struggle with. 
um, that particular piece. So, no, but kudos yeah. to you guys for yeah. incorporating Thank mental you. health and, and all that and, stuff. And the thing is, if you if you don't tackle it from early on, Bomber, like it trickles down to their mid like mid twenties, late thirties. I've had conversation where, like I said, there's players who were dropped off from Fulham and other clubs. Yeah. These these young gent I say young gentlemen, they're only in their early thirties and they still have that trauma in them. They they still can't find their way. They're still looking for jobs that they're not really happy in. And but that's the thing. That's where we want to try and tackle it from early. When I say early, the young people that we work with is from about six from 16 to 24. And a lot of people said to us, oh, you should try and push it up a bit higher because even a 25, 26 year olds need need that support and mental health just through our consultancy and going around and speak to professions in the game and experts in the game, ex players as well. They were like, yeah, as much as you're you're trying to cap it at 24, but there's loads who need help. Um, mid like the the later on in in their 20s so mm -hmm. you'd be surprised yeah no 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 it's it's, it's I, and you're right i've seen it in with um grown men yeah. who have that piece missing mm -hmm. i've seen it with grown men with children who then yeah. try to impart and force their children into a certain way because it didn't get fulfilled and next thing you know they're make, they're trying to make it a chore and the yeah. kid might not want to play um, you know, so it's important that fun and that sport is fun, right? It's important that, uh, even, even at the academy level, right? Um, when kids play, they, they play as fun. Those, um, we have this thing here. It's called the Ontario Soccer Summit in, in sailed around Toronto, greater Toronto area sometimes. Okay. And I went for the one, we're meant to have it this year, but with COVID and I think got postponed. But the one last year, I listened to... Um, one of the coaches that had helped create the Belgian system for development of players. And it was really interesting listening to him because he, he started talking about um, how Belgians don't play organized 11 v 11 soccer to the players about, I think, 14, 15 years of age. Okay. Um, yeah, because he was saying they have to have fun. Yes. Um, and they... Be, you know, especially at the younger ages, before they turn 12, they have to have a lot of fun playing. And so they make it fun. They make them have a lot of touches on the ball at their feet. They make them come creative and they're having a good time. And if you foster that kind of environment, they'll get better on their own, at their own pace, and they'll have a good time doing it, which increases the amount of hours they'll spend uh, playing the game. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. And I think, you know, if that kind of environment is encouraged and it's not so much, oh, you know, you can make it. And it's because of the money, right? Um, yeah. yeah, there's so much money, man, so. Yeah, no, but just going on to that, it, it's the pressure, like taking that pressure right away, right? In terms of making it more fun, recreational, and and, and that that's where the creativity comes out in a young person. Yeah. So yeah. if you add pressure to that, it it just removes that whole element of creativity and joy and fun which, which you need in order for them to develop so yeah i i totally i i totally agree with how how they're doing things because it's amazing and and it's just like exams and everything else without the pressure of having that on you um if you're if you've taken that away from you 
within an exam um, setting as well, you won't feel too much pressured, but obviously your grades matter, this matters. So it's a lot of pressure on, on young people. And even on the field, like you said, it's, it's unfortunately it's about the money nowadays. So it's, it's yeah. a different ball game. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. But let me ask you, so, so what about the academies, right? So let me create a scenario here. What if Croatian X goes to West Ham or Chelsea and says, hey, you guys are developing these guys. They're phenomenal athletes, um, and not just not just young boys, also young girls, right? Yeah, exactly. What, we have this tech partner or this whatever corporation that we've partnered with, and we want to help prepare them for internships or future internships or job training programs or, or the like. You would think that's something they'll be receptive to, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and how we do it is we're, we're quite independent at the moment. Um, and what we do is we approach the clubs who have a program in place where we can support them. Um, mm -hmm. There's Again, each academy has its own way of doing things. Yeah. So it just depends who we're <clears throat> approaching, who gets it, who's doing something right. So at the moment, I'm speaking to a club and they've got a, a great alumni program. So with that alumni program, they uh, match up their players with a mentor. So hats off to them. They're doing something in place. And I spoke to them and I said, look, I would love to complement the stuff that you're doing. And like you said, I've got partners in the tech space, wealth management. Um, and uh, at the moment, we've got a partner um, who's an ex-Millwall player who, yeah. who has his own wealth management company. And he said, look, I love what you guys are doing. And I'll open my doors to, to create some work experience for your young players. So we just need the same people who get it, who understand it, who's been through it and would be able to open the doorway. So it's the same way with the clubs. It depends on what clubs on the same wavelength who get it, who's actually doing something and being proactive. And the whole duty of care is, is a core to them. And that's where we kind of align ourselves to, to the clubs. Yeah, yeah. Because... Yeah. And, and and you know what you said is is spot on because um the is about skill development right so even if you have a guy he plays for West Ham United Academy he doesn't go Premiership maybe he goes to Championship right yeah even if he plays a couple of years um in the Championship and he's 27 28 29 whatever and he says I'm done the skill and internship that he's kind of been involved with through your partners, that's something that he could say, oh, I have this. I have experience doing this. Um, and he can always go back to it, right? Definitely. And they'll take him back. Yeah. So I think um, I think you guys have a unique platform. Uh, one, because of your location. Two, because of the kind of programs you have. And, um, and, and I, yeah. look, there's a lot that can be done. So Yeah, and, and that's the thing, Obama. We don't... We don't try and take their dreams away from them. So the ones who want right. to continue playing, like you said, championship or lower down, we're, we're just supporting them. So around their schedules, obviously, they've got training till about one or two o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. The rest of the day, they're off. So our sessions come in like four o'clock, a couple of hours a week, um, and it's, it's stretched out. So again, we work around the player. So it depends on how intense they want it, how right. how they want it. So it, again, we, we, we're very flexible in our approach because look, in the end of the day, individuals, you have to work with individuals. You right. can't have a set. It's like school, right? Not everyone's the same learner. 
everyone's got different learning um, ways of learning. So we, we, we have the same approach in terms of how we, we set our programs as well. So, yeah. No, hundred percent. I think that's, that's, that's pretty cool. What, what's, um, what's up Africa Sports United? What's that? Yeah, so um, our partners with um, ASU, um, they're an amazing organization which connects a lot of sports business, Af African sports business organizations together. And we partner with them through through events that we do. And one of the events we did last year was it was supposed to be a great conference um, coming together. But obviously, because of COVID, we've had to do a webinar. And it was just a webinar series spotlighting all the great African organizations out there that are doing amazing work on an, on the continent but with international partners so we had visit rwanda and arsenal football club on the webinar we had the bal which is an amazing initiative from amadou gallo val who's he's an amazing guy who's he's done a great job within the nba africa space so yeah we've 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 partnered up with asu asu is a great organization as well so for us it's all about partnerships and collaborations Boma. we're not here trying to compete with anybody it's all about working together to make a yeah. make a greater work that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, I I, I kind of saw that on your website. I was interested because I um I hadn't heard of them before, uh, Africa Sports Unified. But it's yeah. it's a pretty cool, pretty cool project. Um, um, and then in your the hidden genius project, I thought that was another one that kind of caught my attention. It's um, great. Yeah, what, what's up with that? So with with what we do, um, as I mentioned, we we combine sports, youth development. Well, when I say youth development, there's entrepreneurship as well that goes with it and tech. So what we've done is we've created a program called Decode Your Future, which yeah. just basically gives young people an opportunity to learn how to code from scratch. And we've had um, amazing um, international reach um, from young people from Sierra Leone, Morocco, Colombia, Canada. So. Wow. And um, our partners are Hidden Genius Project, um, based in California, Oakland, and we partner with them, and we're like the delivery partners that be able to deliver these programs um, um, across the world, basically with international students. So yeah. Oh, so, so they are technical partners that Correct. implement the coding skills to yeah. teach young people. Exactly. They've got the curriculum. Um, we've got the um, engineers that deliver the, the actual program. And it's a great marriage. It's, 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 a, it's a really cool program that, again, um, we, it's no charge for young people. Young people just sign up, whoever's interested in doing tech. And we're trying to roll that out within the sports, e-sports um, sector as well. So, yeah. Interesting. So yeah. How, how young do you go? for coding? Um, yeah. So, again, we, we kind of go to 16. So, at the moment, everything that we do is between 16 and 24. Um, it gives it that that age group where they don't want to continue in college or university, like traditional education. So we've kind of given them a different alternative pathways to, to be able to learn something new without committing to the traditional education system. Yeah, and what's it been like, the entire program, rolling it out with them, the reach, the reception? Uh, have the students been receptive to it? Or how, how is that whole thing going along? Yeah, we're, we're in the middle of it and it's going really well. Honestly, we've had so much um, amazing um, people coming along, asking questions, want to roll it out in Africa as well. So I'm, I'm in the conversations of hopefully doing something in South Africa or potentially Kenya. So and, and there was another conversation of rolling it out just for girls, um, like a girls only tech 
Decode Your Future program. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. And you know, the world of tech and sports, especially sports and tech, that's the direction that the future is going. So young people are in a, in a great position to be able to, to be in that, um, in that field one day. So that's where yeah. we are. And I asked the question about the age just because I, I think I, I ran into something the other day that was um, coding for kids as young as six, seven years old, right? I've heard, I've heard. Um, I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. Can you even, but su su surprisingly what I've heard is um, they tend to pick it up very quickly and- They sponge at yeah, that age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, wow, okay, but I, that's, that's why I asked, but um, yeah. it's interesting. So. With the whole, and, and the sports for tech thing is interesting. What made you guys get into that? Is it because of all the apps and platforms that you see um, in sports that's being used by different teams? And was that what it was or it was something else? It was, it was a bit of both. So um, obviously the way sports is going, there's a lot of, it's all data heavy right now. It's all about the athlete's performance, tracking it. <laughs> Um, as well as esports, it's, it's getting massive on the continent of Africa as well. So, to be honest with you, it's a bit of that. And as well, um, our director of tech, um, Michael, um, he's from Nigeria. He's 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 a tech um, genius, honestly. And um, he wanted to bring that to the table to what we're trying to do. And obviously, I'm the director of sports, and we've got Jenna Bajalo as well, who's the director of youth development. So the three of us kind of brought our expertise to the table and said, how are we going to make this work? How do we um, envision bringing sports, youth development and tech within our expertise and our networks and our little black books? So and, and hence the reason why we've, we've created Fruition X and we've kind of married all that up together. So yeah. Oh, I see. So yeah. the the whole sports and tech thing. Um, so how does it work? Essentially, you come up with a tech development program and you kind of marry it to a sports platform. Am I correct? Or yeah. So we we used sports as a tool to draw young people in. So um, for the pro athlete side of things, retired athletes or current athletes that are looking to retire, it could be anyone. To be honest, if you're active athletes. Whoever's interested in looking into investments, there's so much investment portfolios in startup in the startup world. Um, we kind of open that doorway and say, hey, would you like to invest into this startup? And there's a lot of amazing startups in Africa as well that just need that extra investment and that partnership and exposure of having an amazing athlete from the NBA and NFL or even the Premier League would literally take their startup to the next level. So we kind of open that gateway and that pathway into, into the world of tech as well. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah. So yeah, when you come into Nigeria, oh please, I would love to. <laughs> honestly, once we can travel, I am there. Honestly. You haven't been? Never been, never been. I've got a lot of colleagues and relationships out there, but never been. Yeah, yeah and you're in England too. They're like a billion Nigerians in England. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised you haven't been. But yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, some of what you guys do. Would be really beneficial there especially with the tech thing there's a whole tech um culture in um a place called yaba lagos that's um that's exploded yeah well i heard nigeria is the the next african silicon valley from what i've heard so yeah i've heard how yeah. amazing um talents there are on, on ground um amazing developers and engineers um so yeah that that's definitely the the next um booming thing out there in niger yeah yeah, no, absolutely. What do you think of the um, 
some of the breakthroughs in tech and, and sports, like these days when you watch a soccer game, right? You're, they tell you exactly, these guys wear monitors, right? That tell right. you exactly how many kilometers they've run in a game. Um, yeah. Like all these things and coaches use heat signatures to find out patterns. You have different types of cameras installed in stadiums that kind yeah. of give them information on all sorts of pieces. Like, what are your thoughts about all that? No, I love it. To, to be honest with you, I love the, the tech space. But at the same time, when it comes to like bringing the VAR side of things, that's where my my inner self of my Arsenal football fan self comes out. And I'm like, oh, don't ruin it with tech. Let the referee make a decision. So it's a bit 50-50 for me. Wait, from, wait, wait, from... wait, wait. You're not <laughs> I am a Guna. I am a Guna. Before Arsene Wenger left, I am a Guna. Post Arsene Wenger, I'm not a um, a big Arsenal fan at the moment. Yes. Well, you can't do that though. You can't be an Arsenal fan. I was free, born. In, I was born. You know, with Wenger, and then Wenger leaves, and hi, buddy. And then he leaves, I, and I, all of a sudden you're like, I am literally hibernating right now. Honestly, but no, for me, I was born and raised in Highbury. So my background, born and raised in Highbury, been to all the games since I was little. Um, so I've, I've, I've grown up with the whole Ian Wright generation and Thierry Henry. So for me, I'm quite spoiled. <laughs> I have to say I'm very spoiled. And um, obviously it's a new generation. It's a new, new um, players up and coming and new management. But to be honest with you, I'm lucky to have been through that whole unbeaten season and mm -hmm. having those legends and, and everything That's else. So yeah. I'm, I'm spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that. Yeah. When you said Arsenal, I was going to say, oh, poor you. Yeah. But then, um, I, you know, look, yeah. Do you think uh, the American ownership changed things? Yeah. You know what? There's there's a lot of talks um, about how the ownership changed the dynamics of the club and everything else that even a couple of weeks ago before the end of the season, there's been like um, riots outside the stadium saying we need to get rid of the ownership. It's, it's a lot. There's, there's so many levels and layers to it. So there's from like top, top to bottom. I think there's, there's a lot of changes that need to be done, unfortunately. And the, the, the chemistry between Arsene Wenger and David Dean was so amazing and so unique and refreshing at that time. They were like the trailblazers in, in, football right they were right. leading the way in terms of yeah. how things were done even food arson always talks about changing the dietary uh, requirements for the players so it was a different world we can't yeah. even compare it to what it is now and um unfortunately um i would have loved that arson and david dean stuck stuck around till now but it's it's not the way of the game so yeah, yeah. No, well it's it's interesting because when you look at epr club right um yeah so my friends in England, you know, because I'm a Chelsea fan, they, they're like, how can you be a Chelsea fan? Because you look at them and, and, and supposedly, correct me if I'm wrong, right? So Chelsea is like in this affluent area. Yeah. And, and they kind of look at like, oh, you know, West Ham is more in a working class area. Correct. Um, I think what's what I'm not exactly sure what because Arsenal is in North London, right? So, yeah. so I'm not exactly sure what the... I guess the trait for Arsenal would be. Uh, what would that be? Arsenal and Tottenham, because Tottenham's only around the corner from us. Yeah. We're we're in the cusp of it. We're in the middle, I would say. We're not. Um, we are working class, but at the same time, you've got um, not as as high end as Chelsea, <laughs> the Kings Road and stuff like that. But we're we're in the middle. Let's just say between West Ham, 
and Chelsea between the between the two we're, we're right in the middle of of how the society and the community is um in North London so yeah, yeah. and, and for me I, honestly when I became a Chelsea fan I had no idea there were this so-called affluent club in an affluent area because my 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 I became a Chelsea fan when um Celestine Babayaro was playing for them. It's Nigeria. Oh wow! Yes, Baba. Yeah. Yes, I don't know. I know. And yeah. Zola, I think, because um, I used to, I used to love Zola as a player. Lovely. So I, I became, yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, this club. So I became a fan then. Yeah. And I think when they signed Drogba, that just kind of did it for me. It was, yeah, I think Desai was there. Was Desai was there? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And and for me, I I think they had a history of just bringing in. A lot of these African players, Mikel, Essien, and I was just like, yeah, that's my club. You know, yeah. they sign African players. These guys go there, they're successful. So I just kind of gravitated towards Actually, them. Yeah. And then I traveled to London once and I went to Stanford Bridge. Oh, yeah. And I was <laughs> like, <laughs> no, it was good. It was fantastic. But then I got there and I was like, okay, this is a rich yeah. area. And I said, oh, my favorite club is <laughs> it's not reflection exactly the, yeah the yeah the plays on the field does not reflect <clears throat> the the, the fans and the club correct yeah, correct yeah. and whereas arsenal that that's where the, the difference is where we had a predominantly african dominated team at one point just just like chelsea when we had viera um colo toure kanu uh, and those amazing guys and but the fans were still quite ethnic there's loads of ethnic minorities so it reflected um what was on the field and what was off the field and and the fans but like you said chelsea is a a different world it's a different world totally different world and he had me questioning i like these guys yeah but at that point it was already too late too late you're (laughs) a blue blue. yeah i was already i was already invested but you know it just didn't reflect because i looked at the history of all the players that played from that i really you know michael balak and yeah like, oh, yeah legends, but legends. yeah but you know it's funny because when i watch west ham and there's a part of me that kind of likes west ham in a weird way i'm not exactly sure especially when they sing that song before the game oh yeah yeah i'm like okay yeah because that's a, that's kind of like a a working man's club right Yes, yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. East so, London, yeah, yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, yeah. they're more, they're more down to earth over there. You can tell. Yes, yeah. yeah. And and that's the thing that that's the beauty about <clears throat> the clubs in in Britain and in in the UK, where our community is very, it's it, it's enriched with the club. Like it's that that attraction of we we're we're Reds, we're Arsenal, we we're, we're born and raised in an area. So that 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 whole um. How do I describe it? It's like that connection is different. It, yeah. It's within our community. We're, we're walking down the road. We could still still with the see the stadium. So it's embedded in us, if that makes sense. Whereas yeah, um, other sports, it's kind of different. You don't have that kind of like connection, really. So um, yeah, I have to say, when it comes to the British um, fans, it's a different it's a different ball game. Yeah, I make fun of my British friends. I'm like, you guys only have two good exports: English breakfast and <laughs> I hey, there's a bad one. Afternoon tea, Bomber. Afternoon I'll take tea. When you tea come and, to London, tea and, tea and biscuits, right? Yes. Yes. Scones, scones. So yes, I'll scones. take you to an afternoon tea and scones when you come to London. I'll treat you that. 
Amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, but English breakfast is pretty good though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, I think um kind of moving moving continents a little bit. What do you think about African um professional soccer clubs and um you know in terms of management um trying to aspire to greater heights in management? Um revenue generation you just mentioned how english clubs are part of the community and 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 they've done i think just historically there's a lot of tradition and and they've done a good job of really making sure um those clubs are i mean you have pubs it's just the culture behind so um i'm not sure if you've worked with several professional clubs in in african countries but i wanted to get your thoughts on that yeah, I haven't actually worked with any per se at the moment, but I know a lot enough about them, if that makes sense. Like like you said, it's the the pro- I wouldn't say problem. The the thing is our fans in Africa are so engrossed with the Premier League that they tune in every weekend and they don't even know their local teams. And right. that's where the the disconnect is, right? Yeah. I feel like once we've have we have overcome that and we've actually created this whole relationship between the local clubs and the, the the locals themselves, that's where it will bring it all together. And I think that's the missing part. We have great fans in, in Africa back home that, that are committed to, to watching the games and playing the, the, the beautiful game as well. But it's the, the missing part of the club engagement. And a lot of people say within those these kind of webinars that I've chewed in back home in Africa, sports business, it's the grassroots, Bomber. The grassroots side of things is what is missing. So yeah. I think having those community engagements and having those grassroots um, opportunities for young people to go through um, the local teams and play and play uh, uh, have some sort of training, like training um, opportunities within the team. I think that will bring the connection to to the community. I don't know. What do you think? Because that's that's where I feel that that's where the missing piece is. No, I yeah. think you're right. I think the grassroots are huge. I think the community involvement involvement um, yeah. is huge. To exactly. kind of, but but you also have to celebrate. You have to create stars. Yes. You have to celebrate the players. You have to create stars. You have to create a following around certain guys. Yeah. And some of these clubs I've been to, they have the football department. Mm-hmm. So coaches, physio, um, athletic trainers, sporting directors, and that's it. Yeah, they don't have, and you're a sports management expert as well. So, so they don't have the business side. Got it. Got it. You see, they don't have the marketing experts, right? The nonprofit experts, the foundation, the sponsorship experts, the um, ticket sales experts. Yeah, they don't pay a lot of attention to that, Um, and then the money comes from the owner. Yep. And in some cases, the owner is the state government. Mm-hmm. Um, like in Nigeria, a lot of the clubs are owned by state governments. Yeah. So, yeah. You, you know, it is what it is. And, and good luck trying to convince sporting director to work for his money when he's getting paychecks, charity paychecks every week from, you know, yeah, from, from the government. So... 
you know, you have, you have that, um, that, that, that's, that's one of the issues. So if, if you don't do the marketing well enough, people aren't fully connected, um, to the professional clubs. When I was young, um, in Nigeria, growing up in Nigeria, um, that we used to go watch some, um, professional clubs. And Mm -hmm. at the time, yeah, at the time, all these clubs are privately owned. Right. And at the time, you could not get into a stadium. Wow. 80,000 packed. And I always, you know, it baffled me because I always thought, like, some of those clubs still exist today, like Rangers International. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's old. Stationary stores, old. Yeah. And and some of them, you look at it and you say to yourself, what would happen if they had good financial management? And they continued from then. I'm talking about early 80s up until today mm. there'll be some of the wealthiest clubs in the world in the world yeah yeah 100 percent. and they I continue agree. getting eighty thousand people in a stadium yeah 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 but for some reason just you know and um i i think it could be fixed personally i do i i think um i think they could reverse the trend is going to take a lot of work yeah 100 it's, it's, it's going to i think you don't compete against epl I think you leverage EPL. Um, you know, um, if EPL games go on on Saturday and you have a game on Saturday, you know, have bars within your stadium that show EPL games. Yeah. You know, exactly. create an environment for those. Environment. But they have, exactly. to pay to, they have to pay to do that, right? Yeah. So you're st- either way, you're still getting revenue from the drinks they buy, from the ticket yeah. they have to buy to get into the stadium. So you leverage it. Right. Um, yeah. And, and I, I'll, I'll I don't want to get into much in all the clubs because I've no, had conversations no. with a few but, of them. But yeah, but that's the thing. You're talking more from top down, right? And I was talking from bottom up. So it's it's both sides, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. It's the, the, the sports business side and there's there's the whole sports in the community, sports in development, right? So right. if both sides get, I don't want to use the word fixed, but get, in a certain level um, with expertise, contributing to that, um, bringing in their, their their knowledge and everything else, I think will be a, an amazing, wealthy um, um, continent of sports. Um, and especially the, the talent that we, we bring from the continent to Europe and North America, Correct. if we actually hold the talent in the continent, can you imagine how amazing the leagues and the clubs and those teams will be and that's that leads me on to the whole BAL so I'm not too sure if you know about the BAL the Basketball African League that's been launched Um, and and that's their ethos their ethos is we keep we create an amazing league on the continent we keep our talents here and that's that's where like you said leveraging the Premier League that's where they leveraged NBA Africa and the, the NBA where they saw the the amazing talent and value to to actually invest back home in Africa and came here comes the the BAL which is an amazing trailblazing like initiative that can hopefully be um, a a platform where we could say oh well if basketball's done it football can do it so we just needed something to show us an example of it and I think BAL is an an amazing example. No I think you're I think you're right Um, and I've paid very very close attention to uh, basketball the basketball league Africa um, especially 
you know, from my past experience, I worked in the MBA for several years. Yeah. But it's um, and they've done a good job. It's been it's been a lot of years in the works. Um, yeah. As yeah. far back as even when apartheid ended, the MBA sent a delegation to South Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time, and um, there were people from the MBA at Nelson Mandela's inauguration. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they've all been always been involved, and I think that one of the leagues NBA is one of the leagues. In my opinion, I, I think it's the best run league in the United States. I'm just I, that's, that's my opinion, but I think it's one of those yeah. leagues that really get you know, it. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. have they have a real interest in global involvement in Africa. Yeah, you know, I mean, goodness, look at their last draft. Look how many African players got drafted. This is yeah, I mean, yeah. arguably the best player in the league right now is a Nigerian Greek player, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, he's Nigerian. He's not Greek. Yeah, not. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but 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 they they've you know kudos to them. Uh, the question I have for that league is just how how um, what what and I don't know the answer to this, but you know what their long term plans would be in terms of financing it. Would they continue to rely on? the NBA's subsidization or yeah. are they looking to try to make these entities become self-sufficient? Um, yeah. Through, well, it would be, yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to say it would be an amazing journey to follow because essentially they're like a startup at the moment. Um, and as you said, like to make it more sustainable, ticket sales, fans, all of that matters, right? Merch, um, sponsorship, so they're essentially a startup at the moment, from what I can see from from an outsider's perspective. But um, I would love to see their journey and see them grow and into into an amazing league that that they deserve to be. To be honest with you, yeah. No, but what I what I what I love about it the most is the amount of um, this changes everything, because a lot of you find out now that a lot of um, players that are playing that league are going to end up playing with some of the top teams in Europe. Yeah. You know the Real Madrids and those clubs, um, basketball clubs. That is yeah. in Europe. You're going to find that more um, basketball academies are going to be developed around different right. parts of Africa, which means better facilities because you know there's now an outlet, and it's going to increase. Exactly. Which is what the NBA wants. It's going to increase the amount of players that start playing basketball. Yeah. Um, which is what they want, end of the day. And if you increase the amount of amateur players, then what's going to happen is you're going to increase the amount of NBA players. Um, right. So exactly. it's it's yeah it's inevitable that that's going to happen. Yeah. But back to soccer thing, it's it's it's. I think if one like you or me, for instance, were able to get the ear of you know like a Dangote, for instance, like companies instead of buying shares. Or trying to own Arsenal. No offense. Um, <laughs> why don't you build um, a club? Why don't you build the club in Nigeria mm. and put your money behind it? Get the real experts to run it on the management side for you. Exactly. Get a stadium. Yeah. And show everyone else this is how it's done. Yeah. Yeah. And what happens is people who now realize that that's a club that has everything together and everyone else wants to kind of emulate that club. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and I think that'll be a good example. I mean, there's some super clubs in, in Africa. Don't get me wrong. I think, you know, look at the, um, some of the clubs in North Africa, you know, the, yeah. the Al Ali's, the exactly. Esperance, you know, yeah. Raja Raja Casablanca, you know, you look at some of the clubs in <clears throat> South Africa, like South the Orlando Africa. Pirates, Correct. um, TP Mazembe, which is in, which is in, uh, I believe Congo. And, and you kind of look at all those guys, and those are some of the super, so-called super clubs in Africa. Yeah, they always do well. You know, they always have, and there's some clubs in Tanzania, I think, that have packed stadiums. Always, I don't know how well they're run. Okay. Yeah, but 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 you know, we've um, got the potential, and yes, we've got the yes. we've got the fans. Um, you should have seen on LinkedIn the other day, I saw like the, the, the amount of social media followers for all these different, um, like the teams that you've mentioned. Yeah. And you're like, we've got it. We've got everything. We've got the talent. We've got the fans. We've got the teams, um, the passion, the, the love and commitment for, for football and sports. It's just getting that formula right, I reckon. And mm -hmm. like you said, I think BAL is a great way to test the formula and see if it works. And then hopefully other leagues and teams can actually say, okay, it, it works on the continent. So we should try and emulate this. Um, and it would have been amazing for like the Premier League, for example, to say, okay, well, if the NBA has done it, let's, let's try and, and test it out ourselves. But it's yeah, easier said than done, right? So you know, it, it, it's, no, it's, you're right. It's a lot of work, right? And um, there's a piece I explored recently about um, how to do calf. So calf is, uh, they may lose all their sponsors because mm -hmm. they got audited by Pricewaterhouse. Actually, they've been audited several times by Pricewaterhouse, and um, um, there were some irregularities found. Right. So some of their sponsors would drop off. There's been a leadership change. There's a guy who was working in Switzerland who's now been brought back to be, I think, the general secretary. There's been a lot of different things. So they're on the verge of losing their sponsors. And some people are like, oh, my God, this is terrible, et cetera, et cetera. So I found out that <clears throat> the rights for sponsorship and broadcasting was given to a French sports marketing agency. Mm -hmm. They would get sponsorship and, market and, and um, broadcasting rights for CAF, yeah. of course, and get all the sponsors and all of that. And, of course, they would make a lot of the money through the commission for these huge amounts, right? Exactly. So CAF has never controlled internally its ability to generate funds mm. or how that whole system would work. Right. They're dependent on this organization okay. to acquire the sponsors, to wow. secure the, the broadcasting deals. Um, and I think, I think that's an Achilles heel. I think, yeah. you know, as an organization that own, you own your own properties, you own, okay. you know, you should own everything and yeah. you should create ways for yourself to leverage your properties so you're not dependent on anyone and essentially you can also demand how much broadcasting rights you should get exactly. by marketing your own properties <clears throat> but you don't see that um i'll give you an example like the nfl they have the nfl network yep exactly um, and they show games there i think it's thursday night games they show it on on nfl network and and, and you look at that situation they're the most profitable league in the world yeah and there's a reason for that, because their broadcasting rights go up every time it's renewed. Yeah. But the, the, their product is fantastic. They've done a great job. But you look at you look at African football, the uh, Africa Cup of Nations. 
has a lot of history and tradition around it. I know, I know. A lot of history and tradition. Exactly. But these guys who run it, one, they don't celebrate it. No. Two, there isn't like a channel you could go to and say, you know what? I want to watch the African finals from 1990 when this team played this team. You can't do that. No, no. Yeah. The infrastructure's not there. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And there's a, so much history. Yeah. I mean, if they started a channel, they could go the first five, six, seven years of showing new content every day. Yeah. <laughs> I swear to you. Like, there's just so much. I know. I know. I don't, so I don't, yeah, I don't even know where it's captured. I have no idea. No. In a continent that's football mad, I mean, you could show, it's just tons of stuff. I know. Right? I know. And they could leverage that so well and do so much and use that to generate so much money and keep everything in-house and not be dependent on anyone else. And I can hear my friends in Nigeria that are detractors saying, whatever, they're going to steal all the money anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is where me and you have to team up, Omar, and go uh, out there and yeah. just sort everybody out. That's my conclusion. We'll go out there and sort all the teams out and leagues and get everyone straightened out and just sort them out, basically. That's that's no. my my dream, hopefully, one day. No, it's you're right. <laughs> you're it's right. a big job. It's a big job. And you're right. I think it's... um. It's definitely the next frontier in this world. There's it just there's so many opportunities. If you know, like you in England, our market is so saturated and small, anyways. Yes, exactly. But, Whereas back home, it's it's so new. Like there's so much untapped um, opportunities that we can literally leverage, but they just don't know how to do it, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you started and you're doing it right now, so. And I think, you know, and you've already started with some African organizations. You're, you guys are doing fantastic work already. Um, you can extend that. There's, they're, they're like 55 countries. There's, there's so much you could do with all of them. So um, and and I, listen, I look forward to hearing so much more about what you will do. Thank and, you. And what you continue to do. And um, absolutely. And I'm here helping any way I can. So let me know. The dream, the dream for me is um, just to end it on this note. For me, is it's not only just the opportunities that we can bring in, financial opportunities. For me, it's more building something that brings a legacy, not only for Fruition X, but for the players and as well for young people. So I would love to do something that no matter what happens, we've built something here and it will continue um, beyond beyond us. So that's that's my dream. Um, here in the UK, back home in Africa and um, anywhere else that we can reach out to. So that's that's my dream and hope one day. 100%, 100%. Yeah. And I'm going, I'm going to- We've got it on record. <laughs> <laughs> We've got it on record. No, give, exactly. me, give me five years and then I'll come back to you, Baba. <laughs> uh, exactly. And I'm going to Mauritius, by the way, those white sandy beaches, you can't miss it. Please, please come, come to Mauritius, yes. <laughs> No problem. Thanks, Faz. Thanks for coming Thank on. So much. And look forward to having you back as soon as possible. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me on. And um, you just never know how things can be in the next conversation we have. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it all goes. So, Absolutely. yeah.